journey. Hope Fellowship's on a journey, and yes, we're moving, so that's kind of the pun on the move part and on a journey. But I'm also taking time to look back and see what has gotten us excited about our personal growth. And last week I began listing 10 things that I have come to see are very exciting foundational truths that most of you will um, recognize. You're going to say, oh, wow, yeah, I remember that. Or, ooh, I forgot. I, I, hopefully, as you hear today, you're going you're gonna to say, I forgot I grew more in that particular category. And that's what I want to keep doing is keep growing. We're not done. There's a whole lot more. Um, I'm laughing because when the very first time I first learned about grace or identity in Christ, um, I remember Steve McVeigh was uh, uh, giving me some counsel of how to teach my first conference, and I was so scared, you know. And I felt bad and weird that I was saying things like he was saying and mimicking him. And he says, it's okay to do that in the front end. It'll become your message. Right now it's mine, and you've, you identify with it, but it's not just mine. It's others who've gone before us. It's a collective compilation of truths that happens to flow through a type of lens that we connect with. There are other people teaching grace and identity from different styles, and they're connecting with different people differently. And so as I grow and mature, words are changing. Nuances are changing. Uh, and probably the best change for me is the judgmentalism. I hate to admit it, but it's true. I'm learning to not be so negative on where I used to be and how wrong that teaching is because that's us versus them. We can't do that anymore. Even though that's a natural pendulum swing, it's not a healthy one. Hopefully you can learn from others' mistakes. Don't you learn better from other people's mistakes? You know, <laughs> driving instructors are notorious for that. They want you to learn from everyone else's mistakes so you don't have to have that mistake. That's why the training is there. Oh my goodness, training in advance. Training the core responses. When the light's red, we stop. Imagine that and that little camera behind you. If you don't, guess what? Ding, ding, ding. You owe a lot of money. You know, and so on. Or there's a consequence. Well, in the same way with life, everyday life, there are consequences when we act in ways that are not in accordance with the way we were created. We were designed to be healthy and whole and to know and experience and give love. So let's take a look at uh, oh, this first slide is on grace. Uh, uh, I don't know if you know who this author is, Robert Ferrer Capon. Um, this is a very wordy definition, but if you, if you want to just listen instead of read or read with me, not out loud. <clears throat> grace is the celebration of life. I love that relentlessly hounding all the non-celebrants <laughs> in the world. It is a floating cosmic bash shouting its way through the streets of the universe, flinging sweetness of its cassations to every window, pounding at every door in a hilarity beyond all liking and happening until... The prodigals come out at last and dance. And, I love this part, the elder brother finally takes their fingers out of their ears. <laughs> I love that. Grace. Well, let's get into this unique journey. Here are some of the key themes. Last week we covered five of them. I'll recap real quick. 
Number one, one of the key things that has helped us grow and learn over the years is our view of God and a better understanding of how he views us, which means we have had to do some deconstruction of some very faulty concepts of who we think God is, and it's being replaced with good ones. Then we looked at that we have a new nature, thanks to Christ, because there's been some teaching in church history that implies we have two natures, the good us and the bad us, two dogs, whichever one you feed is stronger, that kind of stuff. No, we have a singular nature, our essence. What does nature mean? Does a tree that's an oak tree become more oakier from the seed as it grows, or is it an oak right from the beginning? Right from the beginning, it's an oak. So you are one with Christ. Your identity is fused with him. It's a beautiful picture. Identity is the key, and I want every believer to know who they are in Christ. I want every unbeliever to know who they are in Christ. That'll get me in trouble. All right, number three, we are one with Christ, our union. That was a huge one. I did not know I was one with Christ. It took a long time. And Classic Christianity was the first book that I read that woke me up to my oneness. But it took a long time for it to... While I believed that was true, I read it or heard it, and went, oh my goodness, that's amazing. But then it took a long time for it to become true here. It was true in- instantly, up intellectually, but it took a long time to get through all the filters because I had a why, 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 what about, what about, what about questions all the way through. Anybody else like that? I got a ton of them. I'm really bad for that because I question. I'm not just going to take what you spoon feed me and believe it because it's you. I-, I have to own it myself. Uh, everything I share, I'm teaching from my own experience. I can't teach fake. You have to pay double for that. All right, number, number four, abiding. This is a really good one. I never understood abiding until I started learning about God's grace and love. And here's a definition I did not share last week. This is just a definition, not the, but it's a helpful one. What does abiding even mean? Abiding is living in the constant awareness that Christ is in you. It is trusting that he is your source, your voice, your thoughts, your passions and desires. And the best part, he is your rest. We work and live from rest, not in order to get rest. In our culture today, there's lots of new methodology uh, put out there, skills and, and habits that are to be developed for us to get rest. Okay? They're trying to get rest, but we already have rest. Christ is already in us. We need to understand that we can rest in Christ and yield all things to him in the everyday of life. Whatever circumstance, even if it's terrible, we can still find peace in it. He may not rescue us from the trouble, but he promises to be there in the trouble. Very big difference. Too many Christians are into escapism. That's why end times theology needs to be fixed. Because they're just wanting to get, to get to heaven and escape all the trouble of this world and go, ha ha, too bad than the rest of you. <laughs> At least I made it. That kind of mentality. Like honestly, it, it's been going out through history, but we'll talk about that later. Number five, this was a weird one. Obedience. Not a fun topic in church. Not if you grew up in church. Because when it says to obey, it's usually a negative connotation. It's a, a heavy hammer uh, pounding you, saying, you must, you must, you must. You know, I told you about the dad card when my kids were arguing. Up, dad card, shut up. You know, up, 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 done argument. And can't do that. Like, not anymore. <laughs> They'll call me out on it. Yeah, they say other words. <laughs> anyway. 
It's very funny. Yeah, they don't hold back now. <laughs> At all. So, obedience. But obedience is not meant to be a negative term or a term of heaviness. You know, Jesus said, take my burden upon you. My, take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. What does that even mean? He'll be the one, like you put two oxes together, you put a yoke on the two so that it can pull and have the weight evenly distributed, however it works. And Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. I got this. I'll be your strength for all that you got to face today. And we're joined, fused together. So when we trip, the big ox is holding us up. He doesn't stop. Pretty cool. But obedience, it's, it's more of a, I get to now. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to give money. You don't have to pray. You don't have to read your Bible. I know I'm already going to get in trouble for just saying that. But it's true. You get to. We're encouraged to. There's a benefit to it. It helps. You don't have to wear a helmet while riding your bike, but it helps. You know, you don't have to wear your seatbelt. Well, technically, the law says you do, but it really helps. Do you know what I mean? Obedience. If we can find a way to redefine it or go back to its original meaning of intent, that Christ is calling us to obey. Now, in the Old Testament, here's where it's hard, because in the Old Testament, we're going to talk about covenants in a little bit. In the Old Testament, there were laws. You break it the law, I break it you. That's what God said. And it's, there's, that's it, black and white. So now grace comes through Christ, and now it's, it's, it's different. And so you thought we're confused? They were even more confused. It was even more radical for the early church trying to figure out, but those rules were in place. What do you mean these aren't rules now? These are commands. Commands are for your benefit. Laws, you break it, there's a consequence instantly. Well, it's supposed to be. But the point is, the commands of the New Testament are not there to pummel you. They're there to build you and encourage you, to shape you into the person you already are, to strip away those things that hinder the free-flowing spirit in you, coming out of you. It's beautiful. Number six, this is where we said we we're going to continue on. Forgiveness. This was a huge deal. This was probably my largest epiphany uh, 20 years ago now. Nope, 22. I'm getting older. Um, yeah, long time ago, um, when I first came to this realization, it was the forgiveness part that blew my mind. I did not know I was forgiven. I'd spent hours begging God for forgiveness. In the church I was at, um, nobody was there in the morning, and so I got to go in the sanctuary and pray at the, the stairs, you know, some people called an altar, whatever, who cares? point is, I found my solemn place where I felt close to God, and I prayed and prayed, but half of my prayers were begging, please forgive me. And then, then the other prayers were, forgive me again for what I did before, because I didn't know I was forgiven. I kept begging and making sure, double checking, got to make sure I'm going to make it, because if I die in a car crash, I'm toast if I have unforgiveness in my life. Remember? Yeah! Scubula! If you don't know what that is, look it up. Forgiveness, it's a done deal. We now get to live from the state of being forgiven. 
confessing our forgiveness and living it out towards others. Well, if we're forgiven, then how do we pray? We don't say, dear God, please forgive me. If you need to use those words, use those words. It's okay, and the uh, Grace Gestapos are not going to come after you and say, you prayed it wrong. Okay? Stop all that. Quit correcting. Show it in love. I now pray, God, thank you that I'm forgiven. Man, what I just did is I showed a very ungodly gesture to that other driver. Um, you know, uh, that's not who I am. I confess, I agree with you that that was inconsistent with my identity. I confess that to you, and I also confess I am forgiven. Okay? That, that's, that, that's the beauty of it. Now, I'm just going to touch on a couple of verses to remind you because I had some funny looks uh, the last couple of weeks about forgiveness because uh, not everybody has been tracking with us. We still have new people coming and hearing things for the first time. Go, what are you talking about? So just so you know, I'm going to show you some verses to remind your heart and mind. And you can go look them up later because you can go online in the video, pause, and, and grab a screenshot of these verses. Listen to this, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you, Ephesians 4. You have been forgiven. You don't have to beg for it. That's a pretty blunt verse. Next. In Isaiah 43, oh wait, that's Old Covenant. (laughs) I, even I, the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Another way to understand remember is if somebody has a finger dismembered through some sort of accident. It's been dismembered. And when they get to the hospital, provided it's been put on ice or whatever, they remember it. He will not remember your sins to you. He's not that kind of God. My mother shook her fist in my face. God's going to get you. Oh, you're going to burn in hell. You son of Satan, she called me for, at times when I got in a fight with her. And I'm thinking, what does that make you? <laughs> Whoa, you just got that. <laughs> well, I thought it. Come on. It's true. <laughs> but she was nasty when it comes to that, and I've forgiven her. We're, we're good. And there's been a lot of healing. But that kind of crap, Christian rules and procedures, was coming out of religious people's mouths. Honestly, God's going to get you. I'm not kidding. That kind of, that is, can you see the love of Christ in that? No, you can't. Jesus is going, <laughs> one day you're going to wake up. When you cross over, you're going to go, what? I was wrong. I believe that. I believe my mother has. I believe she now sees things so clear. And wow. And that's been a healthy process the last, well, she's been gone six or seven years now. And the last two years have been the greatest healing. That's weird. She now knows she was forgiven. Goes, oh, what did I do? <laughs> I'm meeting more and more parents who are going to their children in later years and saying sorry. They're saying sorry for what they thought they they were doing right, and they were. They were doing the best they could with the revelation, with the light they were given. But as they grow into a much more beautiful light of the revelation of God, they're going back to the kids now and saying, I was actually wrong about stuff. I meant well but I'm sorry for making you feel shameful. I'm sorry for wagging my face, calling you a son of Satan. You know, all that stuff. 
parents are saying sorry. I'm hearing more and more grown, like older parents saying that and going back to their kids. And it's restorative. It's giving permission to their former teenagers who questioned everything and were not given a place to question. It's giving them a place to, my parents are human. You know, just keep thinking about that. You may end up doing that for your kids too. In Hebrews 8.12, it says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities. I'll remember their sins no more. 1 Corinthians 13, another beautiful one. Love keeps no record of wrongs. There is no file. Search button, file not found. What? Let me search again. It's got to be there. Bad thing I did. File not found. What else is left? Love. Love file found. What? What's that? So, honestly, God is love. And that love is patient, love is kind. When it says it keeps no record of wrongs, your wrongs are not being recorded in God's book or mind. So maybe if we believe that, listen to this, this is important. Maybe you don't need to do that for others. What do I mean by that? Carefully, without reteaching the whole forgiveness series, okay? But this is important because I can see somebody jump right away to, well, then I need to allow this person to continually hurt me. No. You can forgive somebody and then call them to account and stop the pain. You're not created for abuse. Step away. Reconciliation is called relationship. Until there's honesty, there's no reconciliation. Forgiveness is not the free ticket to stay in a battered relationship or allow your kids to slander you and speak terribly and disrespectful to you. But you can forgive. You have people that you may have hurt in the past. Don't you remember your sins? You're worse than, than that. Like, honestly, I, we can't forgive ourselves because we're thinking of all the things that we have done. And I, I'm a pro at this, okay? I've got backup files of backup files of this stuff. And God's saying, dumb delete button, come on. And I'm having to surrender and learn. If God's not doing that to me, then I should not do that to others. And here's what this will mean moving forward. To those people you have to work that out with, you now have to work at relationships. They're not just easy peasy. Huh. Oh, maybe now some of the commands in the New Testament are starting to make sense. Where, especially where it says, submit one to another. All right, in Philippians, remember it says that? And then there's that clubbing verse that says, husbands, submit to your wives. Uh, husbands, uh, love, love, your, love your wives. And then wives, submit to your husbands. Go back to the Greek. It's not there. The word submit is not there. It does not exist. It's not there. English translations have it, but not the original languages. So what, what, why is it slipped in? Because of some patriarchal writing. A guy translated it. Imagine that. That's convenient. Now I slip in some more things to batter women. Jesus was the women liberator, okay? So when it says submit in Philippians, it's talking about mutual. Submit to one another. When you're doing the 100% giving, oh my goodness, I saw a picture uh, the other day of uh, you know, Valentine's love stuff, and this is like this heart <laughs> ripped in half, and it said marriage is not 50-50. The other picture was it's 100-100, so you have two hearts. 
100, 100%, 100%. It's not 50 50. Because 50 means stop. I'm only going to go so far. But when it's others centered, self giving, mutual submission, imagine in your relationships you were just mutually submitting one to another. Hey, you know, without ulterior motives. Oh, that might require some contemplation. Wonder why you have ulterior motives. See where this goes? Relationships take work. And it's not a vending machine fix. Quick. It doesn't happen. Next one. Number seven. This, this part's cool. Another part of the journey is discovering that Jesus is our life. John 3.16 says something like, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Remember that one? Sort of. It's at every football game. John 3.16. <laughs> but I thought, and honestly, I don't know if you guys were there too, or, or maybe you just didn't think of it, but me stuck in the pastor world, this is my 30th year of pastoring, 30th. But I thought, okay, that means when I die, then I have life. When I die, life means heaven. That's what I truly believed. I could never have been more wrong. That's not at all what it means. I've learned that Christ is literally our life. You do not have an independent life. Yes, I do. <laughs> you think you do. And God in his grace will let you keep thinking that until his wooing melody of love softens your heart and the vibrations come through at just the right time to wake you up that you are loved and that his life is in you. We don't ask Christ to come into our life, but we discover he is our life. No more performance-based acceptance. It's okay to say the prayer, Jesus, please come into my heart. It's okay. Please don't Gestapo that one. If that's the wording that has to be required, all it is is an expression of the heart. Uh, a number of years ago, before I understood identity, uh, I was going through my ordination work, and I had to study, uh, I think, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology book. Um, it, good content. It's, you learn stuff. But it's like heavy, heady, and me and books didn't get along well. And so, but there's one section in there on salvation that blew my mind. And this is like a Calvinistic kind of writer that a lot of pretty strict religious, legalistic pastors quote from. But right in there, it inferred bluntly that in order for a person to pray the prayer, to get Jesus in, as if it's a magical transaction, the Spirit has to be there first. Or they can't honestly pray the prayer. How can darkness see light? How can dead call for life? Dead is dead. Okay? So I found that really interesting. And it wasn't until later when I discovered through some other great teachers and through history, early church father history. Oh my goodness, no way! And then if you want to go back even further before the early church fathers, this is a guy named the Apostle Paul. Ever hear of him? Okay. On the road to Damascus, he got knocked off his horse. Now why are you persecuting me? Later, I think it's in Galatians or Corinthians, wherever, I'm not that good, Google it. But Jesus, uh, Peter, Paul says, it pleased God, listen to this carefully, to reveal Christ in me. 
He did not say, which is what most of us would have thought, Christ was revealed to Paul on the road to Damascus. It looks like that from the outside looking in. But Paul says, Christ in him was revealed to him. Christ was already there. Huh. I could mess up some theology pretty good. And that's great. I love that kind of history. That's just one guy. There's a lot of implications. And we've talked about this with Christ holds all things together. Of course he's in everyone. Of course he's physically connected and holding all things together. His DNA, God is love, holds all creation together and all creations in Christ. I'm sorry, that's an objective truth. So what does that then mean for unbelievers or people who don't believe that this is true? Then they're still in Christ. They just don't believe it. And that's okay. God's job is to awaken Christ in them. And that has a rabbit trail of other questions, which we're not going to get into today, because good questions keep us interested. <clears throat> John 14, 6 says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the life. He is life. The life. There's one life, one source. If you're an independent spirit, then you self-created somehow. Think about it. John 6.35 says, when Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. I am. Then it gets into this. John 10.10, we love this one. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, which means a lot. Another translation says, my purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. The message, I love this one, it just gets better as you go down. I came so they can have real and eternal life more and better than they ever dreamed of. See that eternal life? Jesus is eternal life. We have eternal life now. And lastly, passion translation, but I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, Life in its fullness until you overflow. This is your destiny. You want to know the will of God? There it is. Memorize that. That's God's will for you. To live an abundant life. And don't run to dollar signs. That, that, that's not what it's talking about. That's a separate topic and is it included? Sure it is. But abundance, the fullness of Christ Everything you need, you already have. You lack Zippo. John 1, 1 to 5. This is beautiful. Listen carefully. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things... Ding, 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 ding. Came into being through him. Word. Christ is the creator, not Papa God. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the, this is beautiful. Here it is. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines 
in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overpower it. Light wins. Love wins. The light shines through darkness. If I shine this laser pointer at Diane, there we go. I can see it on her. I do this with the kids in the back all the time. They chase it. But anyway, it's like a cat. But if I point this at Diane, is it going through her? No. It's going on. But this light shines through. And I believe the light of Christ shines through every human. That's why Jesus said in Matthew, if the light that is in you, if that light, the light that's in you, if that light is darkness to you, oh, how great is that darkness? The objective truth is the light's in you. It's in the person you can't stand. It's in that crazy driver that drives you nuts. It's in that annoying Facebook person. Yes, the light of Christ shines through that person. If you're not looking for it, you won't see it. So now we become light searchers. Our destiny is also to look for the light in others. We don't see each other after the flesh or the patterns or the ego or behavior patterns anymore. We see each other after Christ in us, the light that's in us. That's how we're to view each other. That's like almost a pinnacle of maturity. The peace that can come from that. It's nuts. Another one is the old, uh, is the uh, part of our unique journey is the idea of covenant versus old covenant versus new. The purpose of the old law and that we are not under it. You are not under the law. Old Testament law, not at all. It's a good book, but it's not for you. Or rather, it's not written to you. You can learn from it. In fact, the beauty of the Old Testament, because there is a, a weird little pattern going on. People are starting to think about throwing out the Old Testament. We don't need it anymore. We got Jesus. We just forget the Old Testament. It's too confusing. No. The Old Testament points to Jesus. And when it points to Jesus, you get to Jesus, and now you take him with you when you go back. And you go, oh my goodness, they had it wrong. It was so incomplete. They had incomplete revelations of Jesus the whole way through until Christ arrived. And then we had the full personification of truth. It's a progressive revelation all the way through the Old Testament. God's removing faulty concepts, adding proper concepts constantly through the prophets and so on. That's why in the Mount of Transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah came down and stood with Jesus, God said, listen to my son. Not Moses, not Elijah. They're, they're not the ones you're supposed to listen to. Listen to my boy, this is my son. Can you learn from the Old Testament stuff? Yes. But honestly, look for Jesus there. Because there's so many prophecies pointing to the coming Christ. It's laying credibility, historical credibility, that this was being prophesied. Beautiful. So let's not throw it out. Old covenant, new covenant. What about the old covenant law? Well, before the law happened, in Galatians 3, Abraham was forgiven by faith. And he didn't even say, please forgive me. He didn't even ask Jesus into his heart. Yeah, and he's forgiven. And where did he get his faith? Ha, oh yeah, right, that was given to him as well. <laughs> Imagine that. Moses talked about an eye for an eye. You know? Somebody takes your eye out, and you take theirs out. Cuts off your hand, you cut off their hand. Oh, this sounds like Jesus to me. You know, this is an incomplete picture. He had it wrong. And Jesus comes 
He ministered under the law to raise the awareness of sin and cause people to see their need for a Savior. That law was put into place to make it impossible for anyone to please God through self-effort and works. There's no way you can keep 580 laws perfectly. And if you're going to play that card, why aren't you doing it today? All of them. You break one, you break the rule. Like, right? You break a piece of glass, you break the whole pane, or just, it's one pane of glass. You break the law, it's broken. Okay? That's how it works. Jesus came. He spoke out of the law, but he acted in grace. Then he came to fulfill the law. He came to take all those rules, took them into himself, and he lived it perfectly as the only perfect one to live that law. Then he was the perfect sacrifice to then die, obliterating that law, bringing it to an end. That's incredible. Oh yeah, that's good news. And yet he spoke from a more ancient truth of love and grace. For those who have ears to hear. <laughs> wink, wink. I can just see him doing that. It's funny. Number nine, spiritual warfare, battle of the mind. What we believe matters. And we'll, we'll hit this one more later. But this, is, this has been a big revelation. That spiritual warfare is not fighting demons. Spiritual warfare is up here. Guarding our mind and our thoughts. And we're going to go through a series again in the new year sometime. Well, it is new year but in the new location, on just this, guarding our thoughts and dealing with difficulties in our lives. i got to hurry up because we're done. Number 10, intimacy with Christ is our goal. Just as the Trinity is one, we need to grow in our understanding of our oneness with the Trinity. This means the expanding our understanding of what Trinity and who Trinity is, that has been very, very exciting over these last number of years. But what are we going to cover next? We're just getting started. This is just getting started. Brace yourself. Here's some of the stuff we're hoping to cover in the next... I'm not going to give you a timeline because then I'm held to it. I'm not going to do that. But here's, what, here's what's on my heart. Number one, what happened at the cross? Atonement theories. What does the finished work mean? The good, the bad, and the ugly. Some of these theories we've been taught, and we didn't even know we were taught them. We just believe certain things because that's what the Bible plainly says. Ha! <laughs> plainly to you. Anyway. Heaven and hell. Woo, there it is. We're going to talk about heaven and hell and the kingdom of God. What, what are they? We need to expand our understanding and realize there are more hope-filled perspectives on this. Next, the Bible. Ooh, here's the big word, inerrant, infallible. The history of translations, exploring what we've not been told. Which Bible are we talking about? The English one? And if so, which translation? And which translation was it translated from? Which Greek or which... Latin uh, version was it translated from, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh my goodness, it just gets you second-guessing everything. And I'm, I know there are people second-guessing everything because they never thought about this stuff and going, can we trust any of it? You can trust the Spirit of Christ in you. Because when, just after the cross, when they pulled out their Bibles and they looked up what it said, oh wait, they didn't have Bibles. Ha! Imagine that. And yet they had the Spirit of Christ. And they had revelation. And they had the ability to be living abundantly without a Bible. The Bible's wonderful. We can learn a lot from it. 
But we've got to challenge what some of these words are. What? What have we been brainwashed with or presumed to believe? End times. I want to keep unpacking the end times misconceptions. I think the last time I taught this was in 2013. I can't believe it was that long ago. It was one of the scariest Sundays. I'm serious. I was really scared because it was so new. Because in this culture, KW and wherever we are in Canada and half the U.S., more than half, they believe in this you know, end times, rapture stuff, and the world's going to just get worse, you better blow it all up. You know, that's why nobody cares for the environment, because it's all going to go away anyway. I'm not kidding. I think that's the number one reason why the church is not excited about the environment. Because they have this faulty concept of what's going to happen in end times. Go back and watch that series. I'm not going to re-preach it, because it's good. It's a great foundation. Go back and listen. Look, it's called The Hope-Filled Perspective in End Times. I think it's two parts. Reg also came and spoke on it. You got to grow up and learn more. So I want to unpack that some more. Uh, God's character. Maybe God's better than what we've been told. We're going to keep growing in that. What is the church? It ain't a building. And this one's going to be really fun. Loving everyone. Inclusion. LGTBQ. Other religions and faiths. Those who view theology differently than us. How can we love everyone? That one's going to be fun. Oh, wait, I've been teaching this very thing for the last two years. I never mentioned any of those things because those things are compartments. They shouldn't matter. You shouldn't separate people into compartments. You've just judged and divided. How about love everyone? But... Yeah, but, I got steel toes, so turn around. That's what the but's for. (sighs) Sorry. I'm frustrated. My journey of growing and learning in this is painful because there's not a lot of safe places in Christian churches to speak about this. Okay? You gotta be one side or the other. No, you don't. This church, you'd be shocked at the inclusive love that's already existing here. We just haven't had opportunity to express it much. Yeah, look forward to that. Next week is our last Sunday in our current location. I hope you'll come. Try to be on time. Um, Celebrating change. We're going to remember the joys of this location and, of course, anticipating the hope of the new location. So be here next time. Cake to boot. Sugar up the kids. It'll be fun. Let's pray.